It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Untold Story podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Betsy DeVos, the former Secretary of Education in the Trump administration. And today is a big day because she has just published her first book. It's called Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom and the Future of the American Child. And Betsy has, you know, she didn't begin this work when she became Secretary of Education. She began this work over 30 years ago, um, working for school choice, working for education reform, and all of these things that mean a lot to you. Right, Betsy? I did indeed, Martha, and it's been a labor labor of love to uh, get this book completed, and I'm excited that it's finally out today. You know, what do you hope in terms of outcomes from this book? And I know there's some legislation that you've been working on as well. Tell us about that, and then I want to kind of dig deeper. Well, this is really a book about how we fix American education, and it comes with some ideas about what parents can do, what uh, grandparents, friends, and neighbors can do, some policy ideas, things that have worked in states and that we need to continue to help facilitate Mm -hmm. passage at every state level to really free up families to choose and direct where their kids get their education. And what's happening on the legislative side of it? What are you hopeful to see in terms of things that would kind of encode the ability for parents to do just that? Well, uh, for states to emulate states like Florida that has uh, come the farthest in uh, providing education freedom options for families there and continues to add more every year, the demand is great. And um, there are states, more than 26 of them now, that have some kind of a school Choice Education Freedom Program, and uh, and more that passed them just in this last year because the last two years have really revealed to families uh, the failings of the system that many of their children have been in, and they thought were doing just fine until they got the up you know front row seat uh, to see how schools and systems handled uh, the whole COVID pandemic, and many parents are not happy about that. So what's different in Florida? So if I have a 12-year-old and I'm not happy with the school that he's in or she's in in Florida, because of the way that the law works there, what are my options now? Well, it depends on your family income. For those who are lower to middle income, you would have the option to access a tax credit scholarship program, which uh, basically gives you the, the the stipend, the money that is spent on your child to take to the school that's going to work for your child. Uh, and and the, that can be taken to any type of a school, a virtual school, a private faith-based school, um, you know, some combination of that because they have an education savings account program, which you can customize your children's education. And then they have some two very, uh, very robust programs for children with disabilities. And uh, you can you can choose based on your child's need and uh, their needs with their with their specific disabilities. And then they also have a a lot of options within. So between districts, you can go with any to any school within it, a public school choice. There are 
charter schools. Uh, and then the legislature and the governors there in Florida have continued to expand uh, these options almost almost yearly, and I, I think their next goal is to really expand the the uh, income levels and the opportunity for m- even more families to access the freedom. After seeing again how the traditional system r- responded, or in many cases didn't respond over the last two years, you say that to fix schools is to fix America because obviously education is so vital. Uh, to raising our kids to have a a bright future. So, you know, I wonder if when you took the job as the secretary of education, I want to play this from your confirmation hearing because you were immediately pushed back on. Mm -hmm. The unions were very unhappy with the work that you had done in Michigan in expanding school choice uh, to kids in Michigan uh, because they see that obviously as a threat to the public school system. And it... uh, you know, anything that gives students choice takes away sort of the automatic process that everybody has grown up with that has deteriorated so badly, I think it's fair to say, when you look at the data. So here's a bit of your exchange with Elizabeth Warren on when you were in there having your uh, nomination hearing. Let's I think it. it's important for the person who is in charge of our financial aid programs to understand what it's like for students and their families who are struggling to pay for college. Mrs. DeVos, have you ever taken out a student loan from the federal government to help pay for college? I have not. Uh, Have any of your children had to borrow money in order to go to college? They have been fortunate not to. Uh Uh-huh. Have you had any personal experience with a Pell Grant? Uh, Not personal experience, but certainly friends and um, students with whom I've worked. So you have have no personal experience with college financial aid or management of higher education? So she's basically saying because you come from a family that became very successful and you've continued to be very successful, that you can't possibly understand what these kids are going through at the lower. Can you tell us, tell people a little bit about your family, your background, you know, how, how you became, how they became wealthy and, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and what did the, what work, what kind of work ethic led to that? Well, I was uh, fortunate to grow up in a home where my mom and dad were both very entrepreneurial. They both came from very modest backgrounds. My mom's uh, parents moved from the Netherlands to the United States when they were teenagers, both of them in separate uh, cases, and uh, great-grandparents on my dad's side. And um, my my, my grandfather, my dad's dad, died when my dad was very young. He went to work right away after school, doing everything he could to help... um, his family then. And when uh, when I was young, he was uh, working as an engineer. And when I was about seven years old, he decided he had a better way to build the die cast machinery product he had been designing for the company he worked for. And so he and my mom uh, double mortgaged everything and scraped together everything they could to uh, high, you know raise enough capital to start this little business. And um, it became ultimately very successful by adding in other products that went on the inside of an automobile, including the lighted sun visor, which was his development. Wow. And um, I was, uh, you know, I worked in the the first factories and helped him paint the very first building. So grew up with uh, seeing parents who worked hard and followed dreams and were very, you know, fortunate in, in their success and therefore the success of many other families in our community of Holland. And um, that 
that, you know, that work ethic and that uh, can-do attitude and this notion that if uh, if you have the opportunity and can get an education and prepared, you know, the, the, the foundation for um, an adult life that you can do whatever you set yourself out to do. Do you think that Elizabeth Warren knows that about you, about your background? I don't know. I, I can't presuppose yeah. what she knows or doesn't know. But what I do know about Elizabeth Warren, interest, interestingly, is that, you know, about 20 years ago, she actually supported school choice and wrote a book with her daughter uh, that very clearly articulated that. And so it's it's really, you know, very saddening to see the what kind of... What do you think of, happened? What changed her mind? Well, I think, uh, you know, she she had to fall in line with uh, with her party and with the demands of uh, the teacher unions, the, the or as I prefer to call them the school unions because I don't think they very they represent teachers very well um, the school unions and and all of their allies I mean the status quo has really um, demanded allegiance on the part of Democrat elected officials and particularly at the federal level we've seen that so yeah um, you know it's clear that the unions work harder for they see teachers as their constituency rather than students is that fair to say well I think they see their system as the constituency and there's an alphabet soup of organizations all with you know armies of uh, lobbyists that go and lobby on adult issues they're not lobbying in the best interest of kids. If they were, we wouldn't see kids experiencing what they have for many, many years, well before the pandemic, and uh, and we'd we'd see a greater um, a greater willingness to do different things and to welcome different things that are actually going to serve kids. And so again, the 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 attacks on and the um, attempts to limit the expansion of charter schools on the part of the status quo and the system is just very revealing. It's it's all about their power and control and the resources associated with that, not about what doing what's right for kids. So when you were on your way to do your work as a education secretary, um, here's some of what you confronted. You were actually heckled um, outside of schools in some cases. Just play a little bit of this sound. You should be so proud of yourself. Shame! 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 Wow, uh, he's yelling. Um, I, I probably right in your ear or your face. It certainly sounds loud. What was that? What was that like? Um, I, I never let those uh, situations bother me. I knew that many of them were put up by the teachers union or the school unions. Mm-hmm. And I, what did bother me, though, was a couple of uh, occasions where when I got out of the vehicle to go into a school visit, I, I saw a parent um, yelling obscenities at me with a child sort of dangling under their arms. Mm-hmm. And uh, this porch, you know, I, I, I still can see the face of this four year old approximately four-year-old little girl just totally bewildered about what was going what on. Going and I on. just, uh, it, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, that, it is heartbreaking. How are American students doing these days? You know, post-COVID, what measure can we look at to determine how competitive are we making these kids? What kind of job are we doing educating our children right now? Well, we know that the pandemic has had devastating effects on all kids. Even the ones that got back to school most quickly have had some negative impact. But we know that the kids that that were locked out for months on end are uh, months, if not years, behind in their education. And um, 
and they're the ones most often who can least afford that, the most vulnerable among us, the ones that I've been fighting for for 30 plus years. And uh, just yesterday, you know, Sweden uh, came out with a study. They never really shut down other than the first two weeks. Their kids went back to school right away and they've uh, they've, you know, completed a study showing no learning loss on the part of students in Sweden. And so uh, I just go back around to the fact that this system that we have had as a one-size-fits-all approach for 175 years is the least disrupted industry in our country and the one most protective of their turf at the expense of those they're supposed to be serving. But I think the moment has come where a lot more parents have awakened to this mm-hmm. and they're seeing, uh, you know, first of all, all of the lockdown, everything associated with COVID, but they're also, they also saw up front what their kids were learning in terms of things like critical race theory or highly sexualized uh, books and discussion for very young children, or in many cases, what their kids weren't learning not a you know high expectation curriculum or uh, a robust uh, approach to learning and and so they're they're rightfully upset and um they're they're starting to make their voices heard and in all too many cases when they are making their voices heard they're being called domestic terrorists and having the FBI go and investigate them so it's 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 a an environment for uh, that's ripe for change for policy change and we see it happening on the state level and beginning to gain momentum more momentum on the federal level. The untold story continues right after this. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. When when COVID was happening, did you express to the leadership here that you thought the schools shouldn't shut down? We did. Um, I, I spent, I went on many visits uh, with the vice president to places that were opened back up. Most of them were charter schools or private schools to say, you know, talk to the folks. How are they doing it? This can be done. You need to, you need to do this for the kids. And, um, and sadly, the head of one of the two school unions came back around and just said, well, we were prepared to go back to school in the fall, but then uh, Trump and DeVos pulled their political BS and she didn't use the word BS. She Mm -hmm. used the full word in her quote. And it was it was so clear that their agenda was not about kids. It was about what they could extract in a time of crisis for kids in America. You know, I've been talking about this for the past two years. Why is it that the Department of Education and the union's school leadership hasn't looked at the learning loss and said, okay, so we're going to need to do serious after-school programs. We're going to need to have kids come in over the summer, you know, maybe not the whole summer, maybe a six-week intensive national nationwide program. Catch up our kids. Why has that not happened? We're just going to accept that they've all fallen behind and that some of them may never learn to read or never, you know, catch up. We're going to just be okay with that. Well, parents aren't okay with that. 
the system seems to be okay with that. Now, clearly there are some small bright spots, but they are very much the anomaly. And uh, the, the reality is that the system cannot and will not respond to the needs of individual kids. And it, it goes right to the heart of where decision-making should be. And it should be with a, fi- with a family, with the parents. You know, if, if your child's assigned school is doing a great job and your child is thriving, that's wonderful. But for those whose kids are not, and for those parents who want something different, even if it's just a different way to learn, which many kids need, uh, they should have the power to do that with the resources that are already dedicated to that child. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back and, and talk to you about, about what happened in Virginia and sort of what you see in the future there. But I do want to ask you, because we're in the middle of all these January 6th hearings, and you did point out in your in your book your own feelings about what happened on January 6th. And you, you write this, to me, there was a line in the sand. It wasn't about the election results. It was about the value and the image of the United States. It was about public service rising above self. The president had lost sight of that. It was also unclear to me if the president was actually in the mental place to continue to serve as the commander in chief of the most powerful military in the world. His behavior had grown increasingly erratic and unnerving. And then you say that you talked to Vice President Pence about essentially using the 25th Amendment to remove the president and that when he did not want to do that, you decided to resign. I, it was heartbreaking to see what was happening on January 6th. My office uh, overlooked them all and um, and then seeing the images on TV. And I just thought about it again from the perspective of a child watching this. And, and it, it just was not... It was not good. It was not acceptable. And um, I, I, when the president didn't take steps that I, I thought, you know, he should have taken a step early, he steps early and, and should have been um, much more definitive about uh, his appeals to folks who were listening to him. Um, and then, you know, what ensued, it was just it was it was the the um, kind of the line in the sand for me. And uh, after conversations the next day, um, it was clear that I, I needed to go ahead and, and make the statement that I did and make the break. Did you think that Vice President Pence was wrong not to? Invoke the 25th Amendment? I, I think he, he's a wonderful man who was loyally serving his country first and foremost. And, um, and I, you know, I, I don't know what all was going on in his head, but I, I respected, you know, his, uh, his perspective and, um, you know, made my decisions accordingly. Have you spoken to former President Trump since then? I have not. What about 2024? Do you have any political ambitions, you know, speaking of... Vice President Pence, the former vice president, I don't think anybody would be surprised to see him throw his hat in the ring. Is there a role for you in future politics? Well, my focus is on the 2022 elections. Uh, we have many important federal races around this issue. I, I, I'm, I'm clearly vocally supporting those who openly embrace empowering families with those resources to follow them and, and also at the state level. And we're seeing um, in primary after primary that those candidates who are standing up for education freedom are winning. And uh, so I'm confident that the ensuing policies are going to be much more child favorable, family favorable. And and that's where my focus is on making sure we have as many successes in 2022. And then 2024 is going to unfold and take care of itself from there. It feels like as soon as 2022 is over, we're going to be in 2024 land very, very quickly, um, as we know. So, um, you know, when you look at 
what happened in Virginia with Glenn Youngkin's election. And you think about that moment, which you write about in the book about Terry McAuliffe saying, you know, I don't think that parents should be telling schools what uh, what they should teach. And you say, you know, it had such a resounding effect that that is the evidence of a truth. Well, and uh, it was just surprising to so many how he doubled down on it instead of realizing um, the moment and and, you know, pulling back and standing with parents and students. And so, you know, for underdog underdog at the time, Glenn Youngkin, it was an ideal moment to really distinguish himself and put himself on the side of parents and kids. And uh, and I think it's emblematic of what's going on across the country, really. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of surprises if and when um, Democrat candidates continue to double down on support for this system that has failed way too many kids. Do you see any change when you look at the 1619 Project? And I think, uh, you know, one of, you know, obviously teaching that the country was founded on, you know, for the reason of maintaining uh, the ability to own slaves, I think is obviously a rewrite of history that is incorrect. But some of the other offshoots of this 1619 project about whiteness and, you know, teaching that qualities of striving to high ideals or, you know, wanting to be the best, that these are things that are associated with with whiteness, I think is one of the more dangerous elements of this Absolutely. Uh, that doesn't get talked about a lot because I was raised to believe that, you know, all kids uh, are, are children um, and, and not to focus on color when it comes right. to achievement. Um, do you think that a, is it changing? Has a dent been made in that philosophy or is it, a, is it getting stronger? I mean, which way do you feel things moving? Well, I think it depends on where you live. I think states are handling this very differently as are some communities. But I think about Oregon and Governor Kate Brown there who basically did away with high school graduation requirements all in the name of uh, bringing equity to "Quote unquote" to um, the, to the system. This is fundamentally unfair and unjust for everyone involved in those schools. I mean, it's it's what are they setting kids up for in the future? There is you know excellence and striving for excellence should be where we all want to go, and we it's all want to be discussed anymore. I know. I, I never hear the president say, you know, we want to be on the cutting edge. We want to be these the best educated country in the world. You don't hear that no. people talk about this anymore. I grew up, everybody talked about these mm-hmm. concepts that mm-hmm. we wanted to be the best. I guarantee you in China, they're not taking away requirements for graduating from high school or college or right. lowering the right. bar, right? Right. Well, and, and right here in New York, the the col- or the or high schools with uh, merit applications or merit requirements for entry, um, again, that there's even discussion about that or doing away with them or, uh, you know, making them all the same, it, 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 it does not not serve anyone well, especially the ones you are, you say you want to most serve. It really is, it is a disservice to every student, every child. So we'll see, I guess, in these elections, um, where the voters are on it, because I asked you if maybe there's a dent being made in some of these things, but, and and you're saying it depends on where you live. No, I think, you know, they're, what what your state leadership does matter, and and clearly federal leadership matters. But those there there are 
states have uh, have policy that um, in some ways is in some places is going in the right direction in other places the absolute wrong direction okay um, I've got you here I'm going to get your reaction to the Supreme Court decision um, you're going to hear this podcast throughout the week but we're we're talking on Tuesday and uh, we're starting to get some Supreme Court decisions so I want to get your reaction to this Betsy because it's with regard to education the US Supreme Court rules in favor of challengers to Maine tuition aid program that excludes schools promoting religion. U.S. Supreme Court rules in favor of challengers to Maine tuition aid program that excludes schools promoting religion. That's wonderful news. So tell tell us what that means. That's wonderful news. Well, and I I will look forward to reading the details of the decision, but um, that's a victory for children and for for families because it's going to provide, it's going to mean um, there is no legal uh, argument for denying families the ability to make these choices and decisions for their children. If a faith-based school is one that you want to send your child to and your state's program support that, um, that that will allow that to happen and uh, happen freely. This is a this is a big this is a big decision, and I'm very pleased to hear. So in Maine now, you'll have well, some. It, it will have national implications, as did the Montana case a couple right. of years ago. Um, but again, I will be very interested to see the details of the decision to understand the full implications. So that is uh, a big decision coming out of the Supreme Court today. And before I let you go, I remember um, the the White House had made a decision with regard to charter schools that I remember you said was very negative in terms of their ability to open more of them. Just let's end on that. Tell me about that. There are proposed rules that came out of the Department of Education in the Biden administration that would effectively uh, stunt the growth of charter schools under the federal charter school program. Um, Basically put the, the barriers and the walls up in such a way that no one could actually qualify to open a new charter school based on their rules or their proposed rules, they are getting a lot of pushback. And I, I'm hopeful that they uh, come to their senses and realize that these are very important and viable options for millions of kids. And last yeah. count, there were over a million kids on the wait list for charter schools across the country. Yeah, no one should be afraid of allowing parents to have different options for their kids, public exactly. options for their kids. Um, I've been involved in charter schools and my sister is a teacher at a charter school and Many, you know, like all things, there are some charter schools that are, are not successful. Um, but providing options for people should not be a scary thing. Uh, it should Absolutely. be something that we can embrace as free Americans who have choice and who pay tax dollars. Betsy DeVos, I want to thank you for your dedication to this lifelong dedication to this uh, issue of making sure that our kids have the freedom to be educated in this country. And we congratulate you on the book, Betsy DeVos, Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom and the Future of the American Child. I think every parent, grandparent needs to read this book across the country. Um, put it in your in your summer reading list and um, you're just going to be much more informed about how you can be active and proactive in your children and your grandchildren's education. Thanks, Wonderful. Betsy. Thank Always you so much, you. Martha. Great to see you. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.